Plucky Ladies Podcast, exploring female curiosity, perseverance, and feats of excellence, hosted by Jess Cat. Today on Plucky Ladies, I talk with Molly McCoy, a writer and performer who holds an MFA in nonfiction from the New School. She's also a teacher at Pima Community College, and I'm hoping her class on creative nonfiction writing is going to help me take my memoir to the next level. A three-time New York City Moth Story Slam winner, Molly is a never-ending source of stories that make you think, challenge you, and also entertain. Please enjoy my chat with Molly. Well, welcome to Plucky Ladies, Molly McCloy. Um, I just want to let our listeners know a little bit about you and why I was uh, drawn to you and invited you to be here on the podcast. Um, one is that I met you through a storytelling group, which we'll talk about later in the cast. Um, so you are a storyteller, you're a writer, you're a performer. Um, and one of the first things you told me about yourself that fascinated me was that you've actually won the Moth Storytelling Slam three times. And so I definitely want to talk about that as well. It's actually four times Four now, times now. Because oh I, I just won one in uh, Phoenix uh, uh, back in May. Oh, my goodness. Congratulations. Thank you. That is awesome. It, does anybody else have that many wins under their belt? Oh, people have many, many more. Really? And people have Grand Slam wins, which I'm still working oh, on. So, and what yeah. is the Grand Slam? What's the difference? The Grand Slam is the nine, or sorry, the ten winners, okay. all uh, all in the sort of a finals. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. And does that take place in New York, or is it all over the country? Yeah, it just depends on where you won your Moss Slam, I think, yeah. Okay. Well, we'll talk about that a little bit more later, but that's one of the things that um, really drew me to you is the fact that you do perform and that you storytell, which is something that I like to do. But I wanted to ask you a little bit about how you got into, how was it that you knew you wanted to perform? Because when I was a kid, that was my dream. And for some reason, I had the sense that it was not a realistic dream. <laughs> Did you know you wanted to perform from a young age? You know, at one point in junior high, I, sixth and seventh grade, I wanted to be on Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live. And yeah. then that I, that got sort of drummed out uh, for me, drum, drummed out of me because I, uh, I don't know, I just got this idea in my head that you had to be spectacularly good looking to do oh. anything on TV or, or performance. And I thought, well, that's not me. I'm too shy. I'm, you know, I don't fit the bill of being spectacularly good looking. So that's out for me. I've got to find something else to do, something uh, safer. And you don't know where that came from? Was it your own sort of idea? Were you hearing that from somewhere? You know, I just think it was probably just bandied about by the adults and the teachers and probably the other kids and I was made fun of for the way I looked a lot mm -hmm. and so I had the sense that uh, you know if I were gonna if I were to get up in front of people I would probably be made fun of even more make myself even more of a target so oh, yeah. you know I uh, I had learned uh, pretty quickly we, my family had moved uh, to a neighborhood that was wealthier than our first neighborhood and the mm -hmm. culture was completely different and so I learned pretty quickly that if I didn't blend in, I was going to, go, going to get picked on. So, mm -hmm. so the idea of standing up in front of a bunch of people was absolutely terrifying to me at yeah. that point in my life. And where, where, where did you grow up? I grew up in Phoenix. Oh, you did? Yeah. You're a local yeah. in Arizona. <laughs> yeah, I was born St. Joseph's Hospital. So, oh, my yeah. goodness. Okay. Um, it's interesting that you say that because uh, sometimes people who are drawn to performing are those exact people, right, who are singled out. Maybe they get made fun of or bullied and so they turn to maybe being the clown or being the entertainer to sort of gain friends right but you sort of had a different take on it as a kid 
Yeah, definitely. I Well, I discovered writing. You know, I was really into just uh, staying in my bedroom, writing poems, and just, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was never good at expressing myself verbally. So, like, yeah. if... Uh, if somebody were to make fun of me, my parents' advice was always just ignore them, which yeah. uh, doesn't really work. It generally. doesn't work. Yeah. I know. I tell that to my kids sometimes, too. And then I think, no, that's kind of not yeah. very satisfying for a kid. Yeah, it would be great if somebody said, no, stand up to them, say something back, you know, because I never, you know, I'm from a quiet family, too. Really? Quiet, kind of shy family. My dad doesn't talk much. So I was never... Uh, never knew how to respond verbally to situations so was able to just kind of be by myself in a safe spot writing Mm -hmm. and that's where I learned how to express myself in words not not verbally on the spot though and in fact uh, it's been a real challenge for me to to do things like improv and do things where you do have to respond to things on the spot because I I tend to be slow I tend to want to think about what I want to say and I tend to be kind of uh, kind of not fast on my feet yeah so you and I are a little opposite in that way because I was always the performer as the kid. As a kid, I wanted to be in front of people all the time. <laughs> I wanted that attention. I talk quickly and I think quickly, and so I had it in my head that I'm going to be a comedian or I'm going to be an actress. That was what I wanted to do. But I'll never forget the first person I told when I was probably eight or nine was my nanny, um, my grandmother, and she responded with sort of, "Oh no, you know that's that's not a good idea." Because I think not because she didn't think I could do it, but because the thought was you don't make a living that way Mm. right which is similar with writing I mean that was another path I was really interested in and the idea was always how do you make a living as a writer right and so did you as from a young age did you think that writing would be a path that you would follow in terms of a career or it was just something that you like to do to express yourself I was just so relieved to finally find something that I felt like I was good at (laughs) you know because at that at that time, I just, you know, I was just, I was pretty lost as yeah. a teenager. So I was, uh, I ended up winning the poetry contest uh, senior year of high school. Oh. And that's when I realized, oh, you know, I'm, I'm probably pretty good at this. So, and and my dad was a, a local print journalist. So he wrote for the Phoenix Gazette and then the Arizona Republic. So I did have the idea that you could make a living from writing, mm-hmm. although journalism as, as soon as I uh, signed up for a college journalism class and found out I had to go to class on a Friday, oh. I, was like, I was like, nah, journalism's out now. <laughs> that was the end of that, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so interesting because I considered journalism as well, mm-hmm. you know, because I knew I wanted to write, but I felt like journalism is a more concrete way to make a living as a writer than trying to write creatively and get paid to do that. There was yeah. something in my brain that was very concerned about <laughs> how are you going to make a living at whatever it is you decide to do. You know, that's interesting because the schedule thing comes back. I'm just realizing that I was like, well, journalism is out because I have to, I'd have to go to class on a Friday. And then I also have a pretty vivid memory of looking at my professor's, my English professor's schedule on his door and thinking, well, that looks pretty nice. Oh, that looks nice. <laughs> it was a lot more flexible. Yeah, yeah. So that was the idea. I thought, well, I can, I can try to teach uh, writing at a college level. So Yeah. What did your mom do? My mom was a nurse. She okay. was an RN, um, mm-hmm. but mostly mostly a stay-at-home mom and, mm-hmm. and an RN um, and a psych nurse on a behavioral health unit for a number of years. Oh, wow. Yeah. She probably has stories that she could write about. Were you an only child? No, I had two brothers. Two brothers. Older brother and a younger brother. Okay. We were, we're all similar age. My yeah. older brother's about two years older. My younger brother's 11 months younger. Yeah. Irish, Irish twin. Yeah, okay. So are they similar to you in being quiet, or is that something that's unique to you? In your oh, that's family. kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, 
they are probably quiet in public spaces, but mm-hmm. they are they have traditionally been the entertainers of the family. Really? You know? yeah. yeah. And I think their idea was always they're the funny ones and girls are not funny. Oh, stop. And so I've, I've done some pieces on that, yeah. actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that is so interesting because it is true. Even when I was a kid and I was thinking about being a comedian, there weren't really people that I looked up to that were women. I mean, I was young, and so I wasn't really watching, like, Carol Burnett or something like that or um, – you know, even I Love Lucy, I mean, it was on reruns and I saw it some of the time, but I didn't connect them with sort of modern day comedians. And there weren't really many. My father owned a comedy club when I was a kid and it was the first one in my hometown. And I remember Rosie O'Donnell came to perform there before she was really famous and I was dying to see her, but he wouldn't let me (laughs) because I was too young. But it's true that even today, I mean, there aren't as many as you would think men sort of role models for women who want to do comedy or be performers mm-hmm. which is absolutely an issue I think yeah it's an interesting <laughs> issue for sure it's an interesting mm-hmm. issue so when mm-hmm. for you did it click that you were going to get over that sort of fear and perform like when did you start doing that standing up in front of people and sharing your stories you know it started with poetry i had a friend i had an older friend that i babysat for in high school Mm -hmm. and when i started getting interested in poetry she pointed out to me she's like now you know don't just write this for the page you want to become you know poetry is meant to be read out loud yeah and i thought okay well i'll i'll make myself do this you know i'll make myself read it in front of people and then uh eventually through i guess through undergrad too and then in grad school I started to perform my stuff out loud and and got a pretty good response, even though it was nerve-wracking. My style was kind of deadpan, a little bit low energy. Mm -hmm. And then eventually I started winning some little poetry slams and, you know, Flagstaff, Arizona, you know, nothing big. But I look back on it now and I'm like, oh, I have been performing all along. Sure. I just didn't see myself as a performer. I saw it as, oh, this is something you do to promote the writing. This is, this is something that I have to work up the nerve to do. And it's, and it's rewarding when it goes well, you know, but I yeah. didn't, I didn't pursue that. I didn't think, oh, I'm going to find out more about performance. I'm going to learn I, that. That's really uh, very recent for me. It really is. So the idea was more to just get eyes on your work. Mm-hmm. And that was a means to an end to get eyes on your work was to have to stand up and read it to people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, that's fascinating, though, because it's it reminds me it makes me think of you know the theme of the podcast being pluck and finding yourselves in situations where you have to call upon pluck to survive and it sounds like this is exactly that where you really had to sort of find your courage to stand up in front of groups of people and read your work yeah yeah I mean the first time I did the moth did not go well no yeah I thought I thought I could get up I thought well I've been writing for a long time and you know probably in the back of my head I'd done these poetry slams and I thought well I can get up with an outline and do this and, but I'd never gotten up in front of people without reading something before. It was the first time telling a story. Right. And uh, I flopped. It was lots of ums and ahs, and I kind of froze up a little bit. Yeah. And that's when I realized, oh, I'm, I'm the kind of storyteller. I need to prepare a little bit more. I need to know some major lines. Yeah. You know, I need to write this thing out. And uh, I'm pretty sure I came back and won the very next one. Really? You know, yeah, which was great. Did you do yeah. some research, watch other people? Like, how did you sort of get yourself to where you needed to be? Yeah, I was watching other people. 
I had a pretty good idea of how to structure a story. I'd been reading the, the screenwriting stuff, the Robert McKee and stuff like that, so I kind of knew how I wanted to set up the story. Mm-hmm. But I realized I really need to talk the story out before I get up there so I can, I can see how it sounds. Yeah. And, you know, kind of practice my voice a little bit more and, right. and get a little bit more prepared, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think in the early days I was a little too rehearsed sometimes. I was uh, memorizing things word for word and, mm-hmm. and kind of coming, still coming off a little bit stiff. And I think, um, I think part of that was just this, this attitude of, of I'm not a performer, you know, and not embracing the performance. And I think the real turnaround for me is when I realized – I like this when I was able to admit yeah. to myself that I actually like it right. and that I enjoy it. And then, then, then something kind of switched off and I was able to kind of give it a little more energy. And were you, when you discovered that you enjoyed it, were you still feeling nervous when you would go to do read poetry or do a story? Do you still get that feeling or were you still having that feeling and just sort of pushing it down? <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah. I, yeah, I would say it's, well, you know, Penny at Odyssey, you yeah. know, Penelope Star talks about, you know, turning the nervousness into energy, right? Right. And then I also had uh, my friend Kristen Clifford was my director for my one-woman show. Okay. And so she was the first person to point out that, yeah, this deadpan thing I was doing was working for me, but why not try to come on stage with a lot of energy mm-hmm. and try to kind of give it energy and express it? So I guess it was... Um, it was a matter of uh, turning the nervousness into excitement, mm-hmm. as, as Penelope would say, and and kind of uh, it, kind of coming on high energy because I had sort of this this writer's this this anti drama kid kind of writer thing where I was like, oh, I don't want to be like the exuberant drama kids. That's yeah. that's annoying. You I'm know? a writer. I'm not a drama. Yeah, kid. like I'm like I'm cooler than that or something. <laughs> and then I realized, oh no 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 no. There's there this whole art that they're doing that I really yeah. need to respect it if I want to be a performer. Right. You know, like using energy and bringing high energy to things is like a important part of performance and yeah just stop worrying about being cheesy or right you know and just give it some energy and admit that I like it and that it's 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 as much of an art as writing is you know it's one of the things I love about teaching Mm -hmm. I actually bring that to my teaching is I look at every single class as a performance in a way that I need to bring these students along with me Mm -hmm. into the enthusiasm I have for science because the vast majority of them do not care about science at all they're not going to be scientists but we're going to talk about some stuff that's really fascinating and cool. And they feel that if I emit that. Absolutely. Right? And I think the best teachers I ever had were the ones that were enthusiastic about their subject. Oh, yeah. 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 You know, I mean, you know, the teachers that have the dark, sarcastic humor are interesting, too. Sure. But, uh, but yeah, I think putting a positive energy mm-hmm. into things is really important. Yeah, if you're going to inspire people, especially. Right. Yeah. Do you think that there was value in that flop? you had the first time around at Moth? Oh, yeah, yeah, Yeah. definitely, definitely. I ask that because I think part of inspiring people to to try things and go after their dreams and do all these things that maybe seem scary is that it's okay that you are going to experience rejection or flopping or something's not going to feel right maybe the first time around, but there's value in that. Sure. Yeah? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, what was the value for you? Well... It made me. Uh, it made me prepare. It made me realize, oh, you know, I'm not. I'm not meant to do this off the cuff. I'm not that kind of performer yet. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and I need to. 
I need to give this a little more focus and concentration. It made me, it made me respect performance as yeah. an art. You know? Yeah, which is really interesting for, to me about you because I don't know you that well, but I only know you as a performer. And so I would have guessed, you know, Molly's been performing since she was a little girl and she has no fear. Just get up on stage and be yourself, right? And you're telling me this is not your experience. So you're saying that when I get up there and you see me getting up there, you can't see the fear. No. That's amazing. <laughs> because you think you're emanating the fear? Yeah, well, I think I'm, I'm still that high school kid. I'm still that junior yeah. high kid, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's not at all. <laughs> not yeah, not yeah. to the observer. Um, and maybe someone who knows you better might be able to pick up on that, but uh, never would I have guessed that about you. So that's that's really um, inside information that I'm getting here today. Yeah, yeah. I guess I mean, I guess that would be the good information is that, you know, you don't, you don't have to be somebody that's been a performer all your life. You right. Know? It's one of the things we talk about at Odyssey. Let's, we can talk a little bit about Odyssey because that's where I met you. Odyssey Storytelling, sure. which you mentioned Penelope Starr, who started Odyssey, um, is a local Tucson storytelling group, and we have shows every month. You and I are both involved in that group in different ways, but we're both, we, we help them plan and we curate shows, but we also tell stories. And one of the things that I love about Odyssey is it encourages anyone from the community you don't have to be a performer or a writer or anything special right we're all special so it encourages everyone to get up and tell their story and I think the first time I met you was a story that you told at one of the shows it was a while ago so I can't remember the theme of the show Mm -hmm. um but how long have you been telling stories with Odyssey oh with Odyssey well I moved here in 2009 to Tucson I think I think I might have started either 2010 or 2011 yeah. with Odyssey. Yeah. So it's been a while. Yeah, yeah. I've been doing it quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And you go to most of the shows even when you don't tell. I see you there all the time. Yeah. Whenever well, I'm there, you're there. Yeah. 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 I think that's an important part of it, too, because I think, you know, you can get caught up in ego, right? And you can be like, you know, every performance I has to I do has to be great and mm-hmm. people should come see me and... You know, you could you could really get caught up in this whole sort of competitive aspect of it, but I think where you really start to kind of learn and grow is when you sort of put the craft before yourself, where where you're yeah. like, you know, I, yeah, I like to perform, but I also like to go see what other people are doing with it, and right. you know, and and if I go and do a moss slam and someone else wins and it's a great story then that's still a win because I get to see that great story. I got to see how that great story was done. And it's uh, right. it's more about honoring the craft and, and doing something great. And whether it's me doing it or whether it's somebody else doing it, I'm just glad somebody's doing it. Somebody's doing it well because I can learn from it. And I get to enjoy it. I get to enjoy the story. Yeah. So that's, that's where I am in, in just really trying to go see what other people are doing too. Right. Well, it's what prompted me to do this podcast because I thought I can talk to all different women who've yeah. done all different amazing things yeah. and hear about, you know, be really interested in their stories. Where did they come from? How did they find their path? What struggles have they been through? Because we all have been through something, right, yeah. to get to where we're trying yeah, to go. Yeah, I think it's a great idea for a podcast. And then and then you create connection. Yeah, absolutely. Um I wanted to ask you about storytelling in particular because I think I feel very strongly that storytelling has a really important place um, in our society. I don't think that as many people interact with it or take part in it as maybe should, um, but I'm just curious sort of what your take is on storytelling, what its place is, and how, how we use it or how we should use it. You know, it's interesting because uh, 
Have you heard about Nanette? Yes, I've seen it. Oh, my goodness. And what's the name of the comedian? Hannah, Hannah Gadsby. Gadsby, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I got to see that live in L.A., which you was did? kind of cool. Oh, you know? my gosh. Yeah, because a friend tipped me off to it. And yeah. then, and then, so there's been this debate about it. Is it comedy? Is right. it not comedy? Is right. it funny enough? And what is it? And I was thinking to myself, well, it's storytelling, right? And, yes. the, and an article came out about queer storytelling and how people that are that are queer from the LGBTQ community are, um, are have been telling these stories forever, yeah. you know. And suddenly, uh, a general audience is kind of shocked by what uh, Gadsby did with Nanette, right? Right. But, but people have been doing this forever, and and my theory on it is, I'm not sure that people like the name storytelling. I think it's oh. kind of a strange thing to say, but a lot of times people will call it story time when I'm talking to them, oh. and people will think of like story time at the library. Yeah. And and I wonder if there's just something about the term storytelling that's really got to kind of click and change in people's minds. Yeah. So that somebody like Hannah Gadsby could be like, okay, this isn't comedy, this is storytelling. Right. But storytelling's not going to get you a get you a Netflix, a Netflix special, special. Right? <laughs> so yeah that's true or it's, someday it might you know right I mean that's what I hope is that yeah. it becomes a more mainstream part of our culture because if you think about it it's one of the things people have been doing the longest mm-hmm. right I mean mm-hmm. before there were was formal education mm-hmm. before we even had a, a way of writing things down oh sure people yeah. shared stories verbally or with sounds or with hand gestures or those whatever were the records. those were the records those were the records right and now we've minimized storytelling to story time right mm-hmm. sitting on a carpet and listening to someone read a book to you mm-hmm. and I don't think that that's what it is at no. all mm-hmm. I feel very strongly that it's something that is actually quite empowering and quite important yeah. um, to the culture and to education and all you know I use it in my teaching all the time I'll just diverge into a really cool story that relates to the material and the students perk up mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. because maybe they can relate to it yeah it's a great teaching tool for sure and I think that's the piece that maybe people need to connect with more is that you go listen to storytelling and you are probably going to hear something you can relate to Mm -hmm. would you agree absolutely yeah and it's um I've been thinking a lot about okay why is it so popular why are you know because the moth just started in it was just in New York when I was doing it back in you know 2007 2008 yeah and uh, I wonder if it's about actually talking to each other and getting away from the screens a little bit. I wonder if yeah. that's a piece of it. You know, yeah. it's a little bit of a non-tech mediated experience. Yeah, for sure. I also think, and this is maybe a, a little bit of a sad uh, take on society today, but if celebrities were to start storytelling, mm. right? I mean, if celebrities had specials where they would just get up and tell stories from their lives and pe- people would watch that. Mm-hmm. Right. And so part of what drives what people watch today is the platform. Who is it? How many followers do they have? How important do mm-hmm. they seem? Right. And so um, maybe that's a would be one way for it to become more accepted and more mainstream is if people who already had the following embrace storytelling in that way. Because, I mean, they're already doing it if they're acting. Right. I mean, that's sure. a form of storytelling or if they're writing. Mm-hmm. But the verbal storytelling, if it's not comedy or it's not a play or it's not a movie, what is the audience? I think the audience would be there if it was someone who was already famous. Yeah, right. Right? So maybe we need to lead the charge. We have to, like, start a Twitter campaign to try and get <laughs> one of our favorite celebrities to start a storytelling, I don't know, storytelling podcast yeah. or a storytelling show, um, something like Odyssey, but on a national stage. Yeah. Might work really well. 
Um, the other thing that came to mind when thinking about storytelling is that you mentioned with Nanette, with Hannah Gadsby, that um, people in that community, in the LGBT, I want to say it right, LGBTQ community, have been telling stories like that for a long time. Mm-hmm. But they maybe haven't been heard, right, by, the, by a bigger audience. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel that same way about women. Hmm. I feel like when women do tell their stories or try to tell their stories, that we're often either discouraged or flat out ignored or told that our stories are not valid. And so I'm wondering if you have thoughts about that, um, being a woman yourself, you know, is there an aspect of um, female storytelling that is particularly, I don't know, is it scary to our society or is it something that's not given validity? I don't know, but I see it happen and I just am curious what your take is on that. Well, you know what I find really interesting about FIS, the female storytellers in Tucson, Mm -hmm. is that I was sitting in the audience one time and um, a fair amount of men attend. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a a fairly young kind of a university crowd, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I realized, I I thought, okay, what's going on here that's different? And I I was looking around and I was like, oh, the men are really into this right now. Mm -hmm. And it was that uh, it was women telling erotic stories from their point of view right from from the point of a female desire right of like what you know what I want you know like a woman up there and we never get to see that never I mean Jill Soloway touched on that a lot in her I love dick right yes I love that show yeah and that was incredible but I think that was so incredible because the the nugget of it was this is you know women aren't just sort of these frozen beings waiting to be kissed to come alive right right like women have desire too yeah, right yeah and I think these these men were so interested to get to hear like that side of it yeah and it wasn't just that all the stories were sexual I think they were just also interested in getting the women's point of view but I think that that particular thing mm-hmm. women's desire really kind of put the room on fire and sure. really got people's attention so so I think yeah I think there are stories that aren't being told and, and one of those things is just start start with female desire you know sure. what, what do women want you know right motivation being sort of the seed of any story right so, right yeah. which is true um, but it's interesting that the it seems like the interest from the male audience was driven by the subject matter Right? Because mm-hmm. you, would you imagine that the audience would be the same if the stories were, were more stories of, um, you know, things that have happened to me that aren't so desirable? Well, yeah. Right? And, and, you know, and that, that got interest too. I mean, you know, obviously it's like, you know, men aren't showing up for the sex stories and then leaving. I don't want yeah, yeah, yeah. to indicate that at all. Yeah. Like, I, I think they are interested in the, in the other stories yeah. too. Yeah. But I realized, I realized what was happening. I was like, oh, not only do we not get to tell these stories, mm-hmm. but men don't get to hear these stories either. Right, you know? so, right. And they're, and they're seeing something new, and they're hearing something new. I mean, the story of female desire might be useful to them, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it should be. <laughs> I mean, that's knowledge that they could potentially use, but hearing women tell stories about, you know, ways that they've been wronged or hurt or something in their past is maybe not as useful. I mean, to me, I think it is, but maybe that's a different audience. I think that might be useful too. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think the interest flags when those stories are told. You really? know, I think, 
because those stories are told at FIST too, for sure. Are they really? Yeah. yeah. They have a theme um, each time that they do their stories as well, because Odyssey, like Odyssey, mm -hmm. with a theme. Yeah, I yeah. think uh, they just, Rebel Rebel, I think, might be coming up next. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and what I love about that group is it is all female storytellers, and they tend to have a lot of energy, and they're mm -hmm. very good performers. Mm -hmm. It's something that if people are interested in storytelling, aside from Odyssey, that's a great option to check out here in Tucson to get exposed to storytelling, mm -hmm. for sure. And you also are a writer, so you and you teach writing as well, mm -hmm. correct? So where do you teach? I teach for Pima Community College at the downtown campus. Okay, and what kinds of classes do you teach? Well, I have mostly composition class, but uh, in the spring I'll be teaching creative nonfiction. So no way. on Tuesday nights. So I'm trying to round up a good group for that. So yeah. if people are interested, I'll, I'll leave my email address somewhere where people can find it. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely link it with the show. And is the creative, so creative nonfiction um, is something I'm very interested in, but can you tell us a little bit about what that means? Like what's an example of creative nonfiction? Like, well, I think maybe the most famous work is uh, David Sedaris started popularizing the essay back in the 90s, right? Yeah. It's still pretty popular, so most people yeah. are familiar with that. Mm -hmm. It's uh, David Sedaris writing about his family mm -hmm. and writing about his jobs and performance art. Yeah, <laughs> All kinds for of sure. funny stories. You know? He's so, very funny. Yeah, I think, I think a way in is humor writing, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. we do a little bit of that, and then... Um, you know, there's there's stuff that people are less familiar with, you know, Thomas Wolfe, Joan Didion, mm -hmm. um, and then we we do a little bit with uh, Vivian Gornick, who was my professor at the New School, a little mm. bit of her ideas about situation in the story, and, and how do you get a real story instead of just circumstances. Yeah. And, um, so creative nonfiction has a lot of. Um, a lot of room, you know, it's a, it's, a, yeah. it's a pretty broad definition. Do you think of memoir as creative nonfiction? Yeah, memoir and personal essay and then also, you know, reporting too. So yeah. So memoir, a lot of students have come in and they're writing chapters of their memoir. Mm -hmm. We had a student writing about her mom mm -hmm. um, getting and eventually dying of Alzheimer's. Right. You know, we've had a memoir for for a man who was uh, with the Border Patrol back mm. in the 50s, had this whole career with the Border Patrol that he was writing about. And um, so people tend to write about their jobs, too. And then also just personal essays, which for some reason in that class tend to be humorous, but mm. they don't have to be, sort yeah. of short, short self-contained pieces. And uh, a little less, little less reporting. That t takes a little more time. I think that's a little bit harder to to squeeze into a short class. Sure, so, your life's so yeah. much time. Exactly. And is the class just for Pima students or is it open to other people? You have to be a registered student to take it? Um, it's open to anybody. Really? You can take it as a, as a registered student, as a non-student. In fact, if you're over 55, you can take it for half price. Oh, wow. Yeah, which is nice for people. And do you, when you do classes like this, do you get a lot of interest? I do, yeah. I do. I think there's a pretty big writing community in Tucson. I've been surprised by that. Yeah, it's pretty great. It's a, it's a surprising amount of people that um, already have undergraduate degrees. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a pretty high level course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's fun to teach. And your degree is actually in nonfiction, correct? Yeah, I have an MFA in nonfiction from the new school. Right. And so I think nonfiction is fascinating. I mean, I read fiction as well, but I love to read other people's work that's nonfiction, partly because you get a little glimpse into who they are, right, into mm -hmm. their life. And so it brings me to this idea that I wanted to talk about a little, which is to be a writer and also a performer. Mm -hmm. You have to 
on some level be a little bit willing to be vulnerable right Mm -hmm. and to put yourself out there a little bit that fiction writers don't necessarily have to do that um and so do you find that difficult to do yes yes (laughs) (laughs) but you do it anyway (laughs) yeah I do it anyway I yeah I don't mind so much writing about myself the tricky thing for me is that I write about my family Mm -hmm. and so that's that's a whole issue um I think it I can never remember whether it was Salon or Slate, but one of those did an entire series on nonfiction writers angering their friends and their families yes. and how they dealt with that. Yes. So, yeah, we sh- it's 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 a tricky issue and it's not dealt with easily. You know, it's, it takes yeah. some time and some thought. And yeah, I guess the basic first thing is to just try to ask permission at some right. point you know right especially if you're going to say things that aren't very flattering yeah exactly. about someone um I've struggled with this as well and working on my own memoir where I've had um I don't really have anything horrible to say necessarily about anyone in my family but I do reveal um you know things about my childhood and share things about my parents getting divorced and my father dying and things that you know there are other people involved in these mm-hmm. stories right it's their story as well mm-hmm. um so I think for me one of the rules I try to follow is to be telling it f- what happened to me right from my perspective right. um and one of the problems I butt up against when I'm talking to an editor or my agent and they're looking at material and they say um you know go deeper here we want to know more like you're hinting at something here but you're not really and then as a writer I have to have that tough conversation with myself okay, this is what I really want to say here, and is that the right way to say it and not hurt people's feelings and not maybe say something that that's not really what I mean? Because when you write something, it's not like being verbal where you can't, there's no intonation, there's no subtleties that can maybe get mm. across what you're, what you're trying to say. Have you dealt with that? I mean, are there ways or techniques that you use that kind of help you get around that? Yeah, it's interesting what to reveal, what not to reveal. Yeah. Um, because you want your um you want to have a good story right right and the best ones tend to be very honest yeah and and very raw honest yeah I think at some point you know you have to tell yourself okay if I'm honest and if this story is about me you know making sure okay this story is about me right and which is what you just said um then you can kind of let go of because here's the thing I think even if you are trying to be kind mm-hmm. and you're being honest and you're making this story about you, uh, people tend to be offended because they don't want to see themselves in writing at all. Right. So I had a friend, it was actually, well, I'll just say it was a friend who wrote this beautiful piece about her father. Mm-hmm. I thought it was gorgeous. I thought it was beautiful. And she has several siblings. She has like four siblings. And each sibling was angry about the piece but angry about a different aspect of the piece whoa yeah and so here i an outsider reading it i think oh this is a beautiful tribute to the father yeah but everybody was upset with her and they each had a different issue they weren't all upset with her about the same thing and how do you anticipate you can't anticipate that Nah, there's so much you can do i think you know kind of wait for people to to get settled with it maybe yeah i mean on some level that's part of 
being plucky, right? Is that you're, if you have chosen to write mm-hmm. and you're going to share nonfiction, mm-hmm. part of that is to having the courage to be honest, to be true to yourself and what you're doing and understand that there may be some people who don't like it that much. Yeah. And if you're not slandering them and you're not saying horrible things, right, you're being honest and telling it from your point of view, that's maybe just what's going to come with that pursuit. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And well, and you know, if you get published, you're lucky too. So, right. you Doesn't know, like when we're, yeah, when we're discussing this in class, it's like, well, if you get published, then right. then worry about it. But right now, you know, try to write a good story. Try to be honest. Try to make it right. your story. You yeah, know? for sure. Um, I actually remember dealing with this. I wrote just something on my own blog. So nobody reads it. I mean, my blog doesn't have a huge following. But, you know, it's a place where I go to just express myself and write things, right? It's good for me and it feels good. And I remember writing something when the Me Too started. All Mm -hmm. of the big Me Too push happened with Harvey Weinstein. And so I went on and told my own Me Too story. And I sort of, you know, went through um, all of the things that have happened in my past that are Me Too, you know, things that I've experienced um, and whatever they are. And after I published the piece, I got a call from my mother and she was upset because you know, the, the feeling was, you know, how could you put that out in public and not have ever told me those things, right, in private? Oh, like, this yeah. is how I'm finding out mm-hmm. <laughs> is a blog <laughs> post that's posted to your Facebook page, right? And I never could have anticipated that that would have upset my mother in that way. Um, sure. And so there's the one side of me that's thinking, well, this is my story and I can tell it however I want. But then another part of me that felt horrible for putting my mom through this experience of going on Facebook one morning and clicking on a piece that her daughter wrote, which she does. She supports everything I do and going, oh, my gosh, you know, these things happened to you when you were a kid living in my house. Like, how did I not know these things? Yeah. And feeling, I'm sure, feeling some level of guilt, even though she played no part. Oh, my mom, exact same thing she says to me people are going to read this and think where was that mother you know right yeah so there's a level of you're almost exposing something about someone you're not meaning to mm-hmm. right expose something about someone and it's not about them mm-hmm. but they feel very much like they've been exposed in some way that you didn't anticipate yeah exactly it's like because i wouldn't think of it i thought these these are funny stories about being a kid you know this right not not about her not about what she did but of course if you're a kid yeah. You know, yeah. and people are pretty hard on mothers. So, right. you know, it's, my dad doesn't care what I write about. Really? Yeah. He says, all right, write about whatever. I mean, he's, he's fairly antisocial. So he, he just doesn't care, even yeah. though, you know, he probably comes out a little bit worse in the stories than anybody. <laughs> Does know? he read them? Um, he watched my one woman show. He did. Yeah. I couldn't have him there for it, but uh, yeah. What do you mean you couldn't? Well, so, okay, so it was a show about uh, when I was 22, I wrote my dad a letter. I said, these are nine things I want you to apologize for. Oh, wow. And so the show is about forgiveness and grudges, and I go through the nine things. Yeah. And some of it's funny and some of it's not very funny. Right. And, um, so if he would have showed up to the show, mm-hmm. it, it would have messed the whole thing up. Sure, yeah, sure. I wouldn't have been able to do it. So. Yeah. So I said, so he expressed interest in coming to the show. I said, well, you know what? Why don't you watch it on video? Okay. You know. And where did you perform that show? I did. Uh, we cleared out the room at uh, Bentley's uh-huh. after they closed. Okay. And did it at Bentley's here. I also did it at Dixon Place in New York, which oh, was wow. with my uh, friend Kristen Clifford was my director for that. Okay. And that was great. And then we did it at Trunk Space in Phoenix, too. So I can't think of anything more terrifying 
than doing a one-woman show. I mean, you t- we talked a lot about that fear and that nervousness and putting sure. yourself out there. Um, to me, that's like, okay, I'm going for Mount Everest, right? Yeah, it was terrifying. It yeah. was, uh, I, almost, I almost ducked out of doing the show. I was like, why don't I do something a little easier, a little more happy-go-lucky? And I can't even remember what my alternate idea was. But yeah. luckily, I was talking to my best friend, uh, my best friend Tiffany on the phone. And she was like, no, do your show. You've got to do your real show. And I, that helped because I was, I was looking to bail out on it at mm-hmm. least 15 different points along the way. Yeah, you know? yeah. Do you, and do you have people coming up to you after a show like that relating and saying, you know, that, that was me. I, I see myself in that story. Yeah, that yeah. was the cool thing because right. what I was worried about, I was like, okay, this is self-indulgent. You know, and, and I kept finding uh, people making fun of the one-woman show or the – or the solo show, usually making fun of one one woman shows, being like, "Oh, my parents are alcoholics," and and sort of making fun of it, you know. Right, right. And so I thought, okay, this is going to be. If I'm not careful, this is going to be self indulgent, and I'm just going to be dragging people through the nine worst moments in my life for no good reason. Yeah, you know. And right. then uh, and then sure enough, I had people coming up to me afterwards. Oh, I thought about this for my life. Right. Oh, thank you so much for your show. This was a gift. Yes. You know, and I thought. Oh, okay. All right. It's not just about me. I am, I am hitting that universal at least a little bit in some places, you know? You know, you feel like that too as a writer sometimes. Like I remember mm. thinking when I first started writing my own book, like no one's going to want to read this. Who cares about yeah, my exactly, story or right? about my journey? Who am I? Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Um, but then when I do go and speak about it to people or tell them about my story, I often, especially with young women, I mm-hmm. have young women coming up to me and saying, I never considered that I could do something like that and you know thank you or I've been struggling with this decision of whether or not I want to follow this path and you're that gives me some hope that I can do it that's why you do it yeah right for me right yeah yeah (laughs) yeah and so it's not about like please listen to me and tell me how great I am it's about hey I went through this struggle and you might be there too and guess what there's light at the end of the tunnel and it could be the best decision you've ever made yeah in your life um, I don't know if you felt that way about performing, if that was something you were glad you did, or if you, would you do it again? Oh, the show, the one-woman show? The one-woman show, yeah. Yeah, I would do it again. It, yeah. it, it does take a lot of energy. It's, it's pretty intense. How long yeah. is the show? The show is about, about 45 to 55 minutes, okay. depending on which version of it. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it was quite, a, quite an endeavor. Yeah. I would be really curious to see it. I've never seen the show, but I've heard about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, video doesn't capture the feeling of being there, but I could definitely send you a link. I want to see it, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. I feel like I need it yeah, at this point. Now we need to share. I kind of would like to do it again. I wonder if I can – I'm curious about the performance aspect of, of doing something that's that's older and going back and editing it and doing it again and finding out if I could give it the same energy or not. I, How long ago? Did you do it? Yeah, it was 2015. So, okay, just yeah. a few years. Yeah. Not like you've aged that much in three years. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I always wanted to put more research into it. So it's possible I'll do the show again. It's also possible that I might just move on to the next one. So oh, you, Another show. Yeah, another show. So for your future plans, definitely more writing. Definitely. And more storytelling. Definitely. But you're considering more performing as well. Absolutely, maybe a little more comedy. More comedy. Mm-hmm. Have you thought about doing stand-up? I took a stand-up class that I yeah. did, so I've done stand-up, what, three times now, maybe? How was that? Total of 15 minutes of stand-up in my life. It was, it's interesting, the, the standard is different. It's, it's, you have to do, your jokes have to come a lot faster yeah. than you do in storytelling. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's why I always thought I might be good at it because I tend to talk quickly and be fast and the Mm -hmm. timing is very quick with comedy. Mm -hmm. But um, the thought of getting up there and bombing is just terrifying. Something that I was never able to get past. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it is terrifying, definitely. And hecklers, the idea of hecklers, because there's no hecklers in storytelling, you know? Right. No, that's true. I mean, every time we're at Odyssey, the, the... the crowd is so lovely mm-hmm. and so supportive, right? Yeah. It's an easy place. So for everyone listening who wants to try, mm-hmm. it's a great place to start because mm-hmm. no one is going to heckle you or tell you it was awful. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have storytellers, you know, that just run the gamut. You know, happy stories, funny stories, sad, gut-wrenching, mm-hmm. um, disturbing even. I mean, there's all sorts of stories that get told, and people are well-received across the board. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's the greatest audience. It is the greatest audience in mm-hmm. Tucson. So we'll plug that. Everyone who's listening should come because we actually have a show in November. Yeah. I'm going to be one of the storytellers in oh, November. Oh, nice. Yeah, I haven't done it since last year, so I'm pretty excited about that. What, what day in November is November it? November 1st. November 1st. The very nice. 1st, yeah. And the theme is Deal Breakers. Deal Breakers. So nice. that should be fun. You just did a show. Recently you were curating a show, and it was Big Brother. Yeah, it was right? the host for Big Brother, yeah. And how was that? That was fun. I had to... Uh, um, I contacted my best friend in Philly because she was coming down, and I said, "You know, didn't, didn't you have some story about a stakeout?" And she said, "No, I didn't. I don't. Ha- I don't remember that story, but I have a really good one on installing video cameras in my neighborhood Ooh. and what we caught on the video cameras." So, yeah, yeah. So I she told a story. At yeah, the show? so she ended up telling a story at the show. So that was really fun. That's awesome. Yeah. Well. I'm going to wrap it up because I've taken enough of your time. I've had a really great time talking with you and getting to know you a little more. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for being on Plucky Ladies and hope that everybody enjoyed this episode. Again, I'm Jess Cap, and thanks for listening. Thank you, Molly. Okay, thank you, Jess. Plucky Ladies Podcast is recorded in the studios of the Office of Digital Learning at the University of Arizona. Special thanks to the team for recording, sound editing, and photography. You can catch all episodes of Plucky Ladies on SoundCloud, iTunes, and on my website, JessCap.com. That's J-E-S-S-K-A-P-P.com, and click the tab labeled The Podcast. Send me a message with your Plucky story, and it might be featured on a future episode. Subscribe to Plucky Ladies Podcast and come along on all of my journeys into female curiosity, perseverance, and feats of excellence.